0: Sustainability. It's more, of course, than mere economic sustainability, but it's also more than ecological sustainability alone, which thankfully has become the focus of so many initiatives lately. To take a more holistic look at the idea of sustainability, you need to include two additional dimensions, human and social sustainability. So if you want to run a truly sustainable hospitality business, You need to, A, look after your guests with excellent service for sustained economic success, B, minimize your environmental impact for ecological sustainability, and, three and four, look after the well-being of your staff and the local communities you interact with for social and human sustainability. My name is Lydia Vanderbroek, and I wanted to find out what the best practices are around great service, people development, and ecological sustainability in the field of hospitality and tourism. So I talk to real people in real businesses to hear about real solutions to real challenges, and I'm happy to share their learnings with you. So if you want to become more sustainable, I invite you to listen in to our conversations and pick out some of the gold nuggets that you can hopefully then use in your own operation. And as a side note, every one of my guests has offered to make themselves available for a more in-depth conversation. So by all means, do reach out, connect, and together, let's make hospitality and tourism more sustainable. Today, I'm happy to introduce you to River Stanley. I've met River when he was Director of Education at Zumba Hospitality. Zumba Hospitality calls itself a green, non-profit hotel, school and eco-resort in Zumba, Indonesia. Its main mission is to drive sustainable tourism development by means of empowering local disadvantaged youth. To achieve this, they manage a full boarding, hospitality and permaculture school as well as an exclusive eco-resort called Marungi. Doing some research for a similar project I'm working on in Mozambique, I've reached out to River to learn from him and, as you will see, he was super generous in sharing his experience with me and you. So, social sustainability being a must in truly sustainable operation, I am sure you will enjoy this conversation. And here we go. Thank you for taking the time for this uh... Little conversation here to hear more about you, about uh, your life, about your learnings. Just until recently, you've been give it to me again. The proper title:
1: the director of education and hotel at Zumba Hospitality Foundation in Sumba, Indonesia.
0: My husband asked me, "How did I? How did I know you?" I said, "I just
1: <laughs> <laughs> we found.
0: <laughs> I just I just uh, stalked you." <laughs> <laughs> until i found i somehow uh, the symbols the foundation jumped at me at one point and i just somehow we got into contact right
1: yeah and look it's a very unique place so it's it's always interesting if you ever get the chance to experience it you know by all means go there it's um it's, it's a different part of the world different to anything else so Sumba's yeah. different to bali for example even it's a it's a very isolated place
0: Okay. So yes. I'm definitely going to put that on my, on my bucket, bucket
1: list. Yeah. So,
0: um, let's, let's start with this last place here. And then we'll go back in time and see whatever got you there and what you learned there. So give us a quick overview of what the Sumba Foundation, Hospitality Foundation is all about,
1: please. Yep. Okay. So basically uh, they are in their fifth year of students. Every year they take in 60 students. They try to do 50-50 as far as boys and girls. Stoneberry is a very uh, impoverished place. I've been out to all the students' places from last year, um, to their homes and most of them have no power. So no electricity, no running water, very remote living, very simple and primitive living. They have no sanitation. It is, is a very different way of life. So. Basically, they go through a big interview process and they select 60 students who to be able to change their life and in the process change their family's life. So the students are then put through 12 months of um, intense hospitality training. They also learn English, life skills and permaculture um, elements and they live on the campus. So it's a very 12-month intensive program and from that they go into a further six-month internship at major five-star properties within Bali hotel properties to further their careers and from that they usually get work employment and keep going forward and then they can send money home and slowly put roofs on houses and things like that so that's a big overview basically they come from nothing and have a chance of actually changing their world changing their life
0: that sounds so fantastic and Of course, you know that this is exactly what I want to build ultimately. And the reason why we got in touch the first time around is because I was and still am involved in, in, in still in the concept phase of a similar project in Mozambique.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Which is very exciting. (laughs)
0: That one kind of got to a halt last year, but it's still, I guess, Zumba Hospitality Foundation wasn't built in a day as well.
1: No. And, and look, the, the whole COVID thing changes everything and, our students' program got extended a further six months. So the fourth year, lot of students uh, essentially had a two-year program um, thanks to COVID. So, you know, <laughs> that, right? you look at the positives as well. So they yeah. they got extra training.
0: So, of course, I have a ton of questions around uh, your challenges and your learnings and your successes at Zumba Hospitality Foundation and the hotel you ran there. But just a quick one, how did you get there? Because I understand you're Australian. And from what I read up, you come really from the school environment, right? Not the hotel environment.
1: I initially I started in the hotel environment and it was only when I had um three children myself and I became a single dad. And I thought what career can I do that I can be you know, supporting my children and still be there at nighttime for them. Hospitality was not the career choice. So then I went ahead and did my teaching degree and then I basically followed through in within teaching. So, but always, even in hospitality, I was involved in training, training in different areas within hospitality. And then I kept my hand in that even when I was teaching, because again, the raising of three children, I was multiple jobs and all the rest of it. So, so yes, so I've always had this balance of both and, uh, you know, every job that I had always involved training of some sort that I would always end up. Um, teaching people the systems or the procedures or whatever the case may be and education was a natural step. I was very fortunate in education. I have a passion for alternative education so I don't like the the, the normal side of things so I was very infor- fortunate to have involvement within the Steiner, Montessori and Endermarga system and I was able to utilize that knowledge in different ways and again when I come back to Sumba Hospitality Foundation to utilize it within a different teaching environment within hospitality but bring that skill set that I had. I also, just before coming to Sumba Hospitality Foundation, I opened my own alternative high school. It was with a group of people, of course, but I was a teaching principal there. So yeah, I'm passionate about education in whatever form, but the hospitality has been a big part of my past as well. So linking the two together is always interesting. Also done various counseling elements and that was something that came in quite handy within my time at Sumba as well for different things. Yeah. Yeah
0: all come together now, education and hospitality
1: yep all brought together yep the whole training element so but yeah i was i was actually on a journey i was in canada actually uh for a couple of months when i saw the job for Sumba hospitality foundation so well yes i'm australian from australia i was actually in canada when i first applied for the job so it was quite interesting the links the whole global element to bring it all back to this little place called Sumba. all right yeah
0: so Zumba um, is not that old yet, right? You say they're in the fifth year of operation?
1: Zumba Hospitality Foundation, yeah, it's actually the sixth year of operation. But again, because of COVID, delaying things, et cetera, um, it's the fifth year of students. Um, they just started in January. Previously, our school year went from June to the end of May. And then they would go off for six-month internship till December. So because of COVID being delayed, like this new group of students, the school year will now be January to December and then they'll go off an internship until end of May or June. So you've got to adapt and change and go with whatever life throws at you.
0: So I guess it's always – easier to look at uh, at the current success of the status quo and and then everything is you know makes complete sense the way things are set up and how they're running and so forth right yeah um, but it all started somewhere right it all started somewhere yep. um, can you tell us a little bit about how the beginnings were because if we're going to start something or yep. if somebody else is to start something, how did they start it?
1: Well, I, I wasn't there from the beginning, but, um, you know, I do know the stories of it and everything. The original founder, Inga de la Tala, was an amazing woman who had visited Sumba, saw the immense poverty, thought, how can she make a difference and thus set up this program? So... It started, she was fortunate to find a local woman who had an incredible array of experience in different NGOs, Redepta Tita Butto, and she's still there. So she's the head of foundation that's been there from the beginning. So together as a team, then they, they built everything from there, as in to create the program. And of course, they've learned from the mistakes each year. Each year, you change something or adapt something slightly different. Yeah, but they've been going now, like I said, they're into their fifth year of students now, so it's hopefully a successful story that keeps going. But the foundations for finding land, finding, dealing with legally, you know, Indonesian laws are different, you know, and to set up a foundation, how do you do that? Finding the land, foreigners essentially can't own land, so the land is actually not owned by the founder, but rather the foundation that has been set up. So, and then they built all the infrastructure there, Again, Sombre, it's very hard to get water. When they first were there, there was no power at all. So they started their own solar farm, essentially. So the whole property runs on its own electricity. They also were lucky enough to find a well quickly when they drilled down. Other places tried six, seven, eight times and still can't get water. So they had the right spot. It was just one of those meant-to-be things. But, you know, harsh beginnings. Trying to get everything started from absolute scratch. I came in when it was a lot more gentle and buildings were established and there were some systems to work from. So but yeah, the beginning is, is can be quite challenging, I would dare say.
0: So, River, please tell me a little bit about the Zumba Hospitality Foundation.
1: Okay, so the Zumba Hospitality Foundation um has been going this is their fifth year of students this year. I wasn't there in the very beginning. But I dare say that was a difficult process. The, the original founder, Inga de la Toya, a Belgian woman, had come out and visited Sumba, saw the immense poverty that is there and decided to do something to create change and to empower the people. And so thus built the foundation to teach hospitality and provide a, a future working life for the students. So that was, um, yeah, back in the beginning and the, they got land and had to overcome all the hurdles of Indonesian laws and foreigners can't own land, et cetera, et cetera. So the land is actually owned by the foundation and they had to build the structures. Um, there was no electricity, so they they put in 100 solar panels and they that runs the whole property, the whole campus of all power needs. They were fortunate enough to find water with a well uh, because a lot of other places have been drilling for years and still can't find water. So they were lucky with their that they got it basically straight away. So they have their own water source, they have their own electricity, and the classrooms and accommodation, everything is all built out of bamboo. So it's sustainable and move with earthquakes and all sorts of things. And but yeah, hard beginnings getting all of that established. But like I said, fifth year of students this year, and they learn from what happens every year and mm. adapt and change and and grow and make it better and better every year
0: i guess the the struggles that you mentioned are probably going to be the same for whoever is going to build just about anything anywhere right sure. maybe but where things are not are not as regulated as uh, as um, as in other places now how did what were the struggles though in the beginning to set up the school part? So what are some of the things? Do you do you know? I know you haven't been there at that time, but do you know what the struggles were in setting even up and devising the concept? I mean, how did what, what did they? F- use as a foundation for the
1: for the educational uh, bit of the school I'm I'm not sure of uh, the complete struggles as in you know overcoming uh, sort of governmental requirements and everything I know that the they don't have any government support they're very lucky Inga was very lucky to have find Redemptor Tita butter who is the head of foundation and she's a local Sumbanese woman she'd worked with many NGOs before so in many different ways and while she's not an educationalist she knew the processes of everything to be able to go through. So to my understanding, the, the biggest hassle was finding the qualified people who would be willing to come to such a remote place like Zumba and be able to impart the knowledge. But they did find and they always will find because there's, there's plenty of people in the world who have the heart space. And that's the big thing you need to have is that want to create change and make a difference, etc. And with a skill set to be able to then set up that educational part. But going back to the government bit, they don't get any government support or anything I, I don't believe it's that they can't. It's just that if they accept any, then it has to be done the government way, and then that brings it into a whole different realm of standards and et cetera, et cetera. So they wanted to be able to create, you know, five star hospitality, and in order to do so, it was better that they run with their own program. So basically, you get the right people in. They draw people from all over the world with different hospitality experience who can come in and teach the students. So The students, there's five areas that they learn in. There's um spa, and culinary. Uh, so the whole cooking side, food and beverage, housekeeping and front office. So basically the expertise that they gather is from those five different areas to be able to teach those components to the students. So. And the program lasts for a year? Um, the program in total is 18 months. So it's 12 months on campus where they they live on campus and they're doing the hospitality side. We have a small nine-room eco-resort as well. So the students get to apply all their skill set and their knowledge that they're learning immediately with real guests through that. So they're in classes learning every day. They're also getting that practical side of things, working with the guests under the supervision. And that goes for a total of 12 months. In addition to their hospitality learning, they learn English very intensively. They do about 10 hours of English per week. Plus, they're learning life skills. Again, they come from very remote places where they've really not gone anywhere or have no real understanding of of, external life so it's, it's learning a whole lot of basic elements and they also learn permaculture sustainability as well so those classes are on top of their hospitality classes which are general in English um, as well so the whole in, intensive English element is drummed in there and they do that for 12 months and then they have a six-month internship at major five-star resorts predominantly in Bali in Indonesia and that has been something that has been set up from the beginning and the places love our students and keep taking them year after year.
0: And you have how many students per year?
1: Sixty. Sixty students per 60. year. So yep.
0: and of the sixty half are in class all the time the other half is
1: working or how do you do that? Um it it again it comes down to the staffing. Depends on the teachers that we have at the moment. Some of the bigger groups. So for example, last year, our culinary students, there were 17 culinary students because they, they basically focus on one area. There's option or there's times when they can do cross training to learn other areas. But for the 12 months, they predominantly focus on one of those hospitality areas. So the culinary students had 17 students. So they divided them into two groups. So when one was, um, doing theory and, and even practical and everything as part of the learning, the other group would be doing either the life skills or English or permaculture or other side of things. As far as the service needs with the guests, they would be on a rotational roster as far as being, you know, for the breakfast, for the lunch, for the dinner. And so often you'd be pulled out of class. You know, to, to deal with that then back to class again. So everything sort of just ran in conjunction with each other. It just all flowed. It was not an easy thing to establish in the beginning, but once it's established, it's, it's all fine. So mm-hmm. the structure, but you know, yeah. other classes, you know, they, yeah, it's just a balancing act of how the timetable works, but it goes smoothly. So that's all good. How many teachers do you have? On average, uh, well, basically you, you sort of have two per department. So. Uh, if you like 16. Now, when I say that, because there's the five hospitality areas, then English, life skills and permaculture. Some of them only had one though, obviously. And, but you get a, we always get an uh, ongoing supply of volunteers that come from all over the world to come in. So they fill in as the teachers as well and additional support, depending on their skill set, depends on how much they can actually lead or how much they're just assisting, you know, particularly on maybe a practical level or whatever the case may be. But. You could sort of say roughly about 15 teaching staff in different forms, but that can vary from, from eight to 16. So
0: yeah. I, hear you, I hear what you described. It sounds like an agile environment that you have to kind of go with the flow and roll with the punches, right?
1: Yeah, you or, certainly yeah. do. And, and like anywhere you have different public events that happen or different things that happened last year was COVID. You know, you, you have to adapt and change and go with whatever the case may be. Again, because we have a, a a resort, a live resort too, we have our departments with more staff as well, such as the kitchen team, the, the housekeeping team. So you you'll have your one main teacher for the students and maybe an assistant teacher, but everybody jumps in to support and to help and because there's others that are there that are doing the job. They're just not necessarily as skilled as the main teachers. The the teachers have all had international experience, you know, whether it be in cruise ships, in international hotels, you know, whatever the form is, but they've all had quite significant experience to be able to impart to the students. So, and they're a mix of Indonesian teachers as well as foreign uh, teachers that are brought in. At the moment, there's very little because the borders have been closed. So, for this year's students, it's Predominantly all locals. <laughs> Whoever is there is there, right? It's that's, that's a bit <laughs> like that. So, yeah.
0: They learn important competencies and that is uh, flexibility, right? Which is so important for the
1: hospitality industry. Absolutely. And and another big important learning for the students particularly is adaptation. Like they get very attached to their teachers, you know, They're, because again, it's different to the, the normal schooling system. They, they They see all the people there at SHF that really care about them and, want to support their future and so they've become very attached and so when they roll over you know every few months you might have different volunteers coming and going and you know that whole adaption situation is an interesting thing for them to get used to and but again to me important within hospitality because hospitality turns over constantly they become more flexible basically and more adaptable to be able to go with different situations it's a good thing
0: so, how old are they? What kind of a schooling will
1: students have had before they start? Okay, so the students are aged between seventeen and twenty three years old They must have completed their high school high school education. It doesn't matter about their results in that. Basically, they can get just under a thousand applicants per year, and again, they're reducing that down to sixty so that's one of the criteria they must have finished their education, and a big part of that is to know that okay, their parents are supportive of education, in other words. Some of the students had to walk 15 kilometers to school every day. So if they were going to do that, it means the parents were wanting them to do it and they supported the whole educational element. So off you go. So that's, that's a big part of it because a lot of the students drop out very early. And so there's the fear then that they would drop out of this as well. That's part of the criteria there that they have to have finished their schooling, but we don't look at results of how they went or anything. It's then a matter of needs basis. Like, basically, when we do the interviews, there's a big process that goes through, including a written test. Um, they have interviews face to face and they also do home visits. So, our head of foundation goes out to their homes to make sure that the family are going to support as well. Uh, so there's a whole range of different elements. It's sort of a six month process just to reduce it down to the 60 candidates so that are going to come for the following year.
0: So you have a thousand applicants
1: from all over the islands, I suppose. Yeah, um, and is not a big, a uh, big place, uh, you know, but it's it's big enough, and it's divided into four regions, which are traditionally, you know, there'd be wars between each of the regions, et cetera, et cetera. So. To keep things very equitable, we make sure we take 15 from each region. So that's the total of 60 students.
0: And so I'm assuming that you've had experiences in in, uh, students dropping out early in the program, right, for a variety of reasons. And this is why you've adapted your requirements accordingly, because once the school is started and uh, if kids drop out after three months,
1: you can't really replace them, Right. Absolutely, and look, Sumba still has the traditional culture of arranged marriages, et cetera, et cetera, things like that. So, one of the things too is that a lot of times the the daughter, particularly, will be will be married off because it allows the family to have buffalo and and pigs, and you know have all these extra rewards, et cetera, et cetera. So. That's something that happened in the first couple of years, that in the holiday time, the students went back home and we never saw them again because they were then married off. So that's now part of the home visits about a commitment from the parents. They sign uh, a form basically saying that they're committed to the process so that the girls aren't going to be taken out and married. Similarly with the boys, it's again, it's a basically a two-year process before they're actually earning money to be able to really send home to support their family. So for a lot of them too... They want their their boys um, out working, and so to let them have two years off essentially, which eventually produces bigger rewards, and that's what they need to be able to see. But you know, there is all these sort of elements that can go into it that they definitely learned from the first few years where they lost a few students through those sort of things. Uh, it's also a part of our life skills is teaching sex education because. Again, remote, it's very old school, and so they lost a the couple in the beginning through pregnancies, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's again, it's a constant learning, adapting, changing.
0: So in, in our regions of the world, um, when you accept students into programs like these, whether it be vocational or uh, into hotel schools, Uh, oftentimes, you know, a service mentality is being, you know, is, is also part of the criteria for getting into programs. Is that, is that an issue
1: in Zumba? Um, yes and no. Uh, basically they know that this is an amazing opportunity for them, particularly now that we, again, we're in the fifth year. So they know of past students who have been through. They've seen maybe a roof on their neighbor's house and saying, how did you get that? And it's from one of their students that have gone off to work, et cetera, et cetera. So they uh, are willing to sort of do anything, you know, and that's that's a scary element too because you've got to teach them about the boundaries in life. You need to be following the rules and be dedicated, et cetera, et cetera, but you also must keep your own personal dignity, your own personal right. well-being, et cetera, moving forward. F- from... A straight service point of view as far as experience or what they've done before. They've got nothing. They've, they live in a very remote place. They've never been anywhere. They haven't experienced anything. You ask them what they know about a hotel or the hotel industry and they might say, Oh, there's beds. That's a good answer. <laughs> so often they actually have no concept. They've certainly never been to a restaurant. They've never been to a hotel. They've never, they've never seen an elevator. They've never seen. You know, anything, it blows their minds when they, they eventually get out there and into a real hotel and find out what it's like. So, so yeah, the service part of things that, that personal service, there's a, there's a, that's a part of our teaching within life skills is to keep empowered, but in, in a proper way. Um, mm. and then there's the, the physical service side where they will do anything to help and. They want to learn. They want the practice. They want to grow. And again, the proof is there. Then, when they go out to work, that they get the jobs because they're they're more skilled than anybody else through their own efforts.
0: That they're yeah, I sometimes hear people say that they find it challenging or they can imagine it to be challenging. Maybe they haven't even been in a situation where where they, they made that experience firsthand. But saying people that have, you know, maybe no running water or electricity, let alone an elevator or gloved service, or, you know, any of the start at any point go anywhere kind of service. How are you going to teach them what truly five-star service is? And, and you know, that's your claim to fame, right? You're not just eco, you are five-star eco, and that's the level you want to teach uh, your students to work at. So how do you include this feeling for what is true service and what is okay and what is not okay? How do you incorporate it in your curriculum?
1: It's, it's actually quite a funny thing because there's so many times where you do, you shake your head thinking... <laughs> we've got a chance here but in the end we do have a big chance but again you're right they know nothing they come they have got none of that skill set so you're showing them from the very beginning and this comes down to again selecting the right people for the teaching element because they have to Not just know international standards and what is expected, but they have to be able to actually impart that and be able to teach. And that is why we need people, too, who come from the heart side, who want to be able to empower the students, not just do the things for them, because that's not going to do anything, but you have to be able to show them and teach them. So part of working out which department the student is best suited for is, I know in the year that I was there, we did a new system and it worked very well from the point of view of the, t- the testing in the beginning. And there were three main elements to it. We actually had a questionnaire, if you like. There was 10 questions on the five departments, so 50 questions that the students had to answer. We did that because, for example, if they wanted to be in spa, okay, but in the spa questions, they really they got three out of the 10, correct. Where in culinary, for example, they got 10 out of 10. It meant there's a natural Aptitude towards the culinary more than the spa, so that's one of the criteria. Another criteria is they listed in order of preference what department they wanted to be in. And the third criteria is the teachers. The teachers in the two-week trial that they moved around, they got to observe who is really showing an aptitude for for this, you know, seeing this one element. And so there's a fourth criteria to being the English exam. So after just two weeks of, of some learning of basic English. Um, testing them because we needed the strongest English-speaking people within front office and food and beverage. who we were dealing with those guests one-on-one to start with. So there was those four criteria. And of the 60 students, 58 of them basically all had their first or second choice. There was only two students so that it was their third or fourth test based on the other results. But that actually worked out really well because it automatically ironed out a lot of the problems of finding out, what student belongs in what area because one of the things, again, learning from past situations is that they could get halfway through the year and say this person just should not be in housekeeping or this person should not be in food and beverage or whatever. So it was a way of trying to get that a bit quicker. Having said that, you go through the learning process and, you know, it's just practice, 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 you're reiterating the very basic things. One of the things I find the funniest is that they still struggle with a whole knife, like the only knife they've ever seen is what's called a parang which is like a a dagger or a a sheath, like for Mm -hmm. working in the fields, and they use that to cut up any meat or anything. They use their fingers for their eating at home. There's no such things as knives and forks, whatever. So for the food and beverage students to set a table and with a knife and the the amount of times you've got to go through the same process of, okay, you're nearly there, but no, and you've got to be aware of how far from the edge of the table and the right, making sure the opposite knife and and fork or opposite in the right place etc all these things it's very confronting but they're sponges they're they're soaking Mm -hmm. up the knowledge they do learn it but you do have to those very basic things you have to go back to the very very beginning with so Um, you just have to make
0: sure you incorporate that and you're giving
1: them ample time to practice and to incorporate that into their new way of seeing the world right absolutely and like right from the beginning with the teachers we we did a lot of observational challenges so every department you know and I, I, one of my favorite ones to do was housekeeping because with the housekeeping manager and myself we would go into a room and that would be spotless look perfect but we would plant mistakes so um and i remember this one time we we planted 25 errors and we're talking tiny things of um you know, moving a um, furniture slightly out of whack or the easiest one was leaving a bed sheet not tucked in. But anyway, but the students had to go in and find how many mistakes they could find. And it was really quite funny because one student, I think the most anyone ever got was 22, in particularly in the early days. But um, one time they found three of the mistakes that we did not do and we did not even <laughs> see ourselves, you know. And, and that always was a huge joy for me that their eye for detail was actually increasing. They were finding additional things, which to me was fantastic, and one of those, mind you, was a a picture on the wall, and they said it it was out and then I looked and I went, "Oh, I can see it. It was like the slightest angle, but only so slight that you wouldn't notice but that eye for detail and we did the same thing with the restaurants with the plating of food with the uh, in the spa element right across the board, everywhere you know that eye for detail element so you're constantly doing a scaffolding process. You're teaching the basics, you're building upon those basics, you're going back and testing those basics. And you do that right to the end. And then they go out on their internships and they're still doing that, but in a different environment. So Mm -hmm. the other Mm -hmm. thing we're very lucky with is um, they have a partner being Nihi Sumba, which is an internationally well-known resort on Sumba. Our students go there for a two week Placement throughout the year as well, so they actually all get right. that, that live, an additional live element. The just through. a different
0: environment, learn different.
1: Absolutely. Settings uh, yep. and, and
0: so normally, of
1: operation. Normally, send five or six students over there at a time. They do two weeks and then come back, and another five or six go. So, very lucky to have that support from Nihi as well. But all those elements, and again, having the right staff for teaching. That builds them up to that five star level. Mm-hmm. It's possible to do it, <laughs> but yeah, it's not without its challenges. That's for sure.
0: That's fantastic! I love the the student teaching the teacher.
1: Yeah, yeah, nice, it's, nice it's incredible, nice, and that's nice. a, that's a huge joy from an educational point mm-hmm. of view. For sure, we're all, <laughs> we're all learning through life. For so, sure. Yeah,
0: for sure. Now, I talked to Christoph Buchbacher, who lives in uh, Morocco, and he actually brought up the point that uh, in a different scenario where he said, well, there are certain areas of the world where a job in the hospitality business is not seen as a very attractive one, because the concept of serving others, maybe particularly Westerners,
1: just doesn't come with a very high reputation. Have you encountered any of that? Uh, look, personally, I have. I mean, when I was 21, I quit hospitality for I'd never be involved in it again because I hated the whole servitude element of it. Um, however, then I did get back into it again and continued doing so, especially from a management point of view. But I was always very quick to, to point out to people, yes, we have to be polite. Yes, we have to meet their needs, but they are not God. They are not as in the guests, you know, um, uh, there's still an, an element of you have to be strong within yourself. And, again, that forms part of our life skills program with these students because you will get that and you will get people from all over the world, particularly Westerners, obviously, but, you know, who are demanding, who are wanting that that high level. And, okay, the property can offer that and you have – there's a certain point where you have to follow it. But, uh, you know, you have to maintain your own integrity and your own strength and your own ideals within yourself. So you can yeah. – can do it and you can offer good service and everything. It doesn't mean you have to be a slave to the whole element of hospitality. So I I definitely understand what he's saying, but yeah. And look, in the beginning, these students and when they go out into their placements and even their first jobs, like I say to them, sometimes you have to suck it up. In other words, sometimes something happens that you think, okay, I don't quite agree with that, but hey, I'm the new kid here. I need to be able to just move forward. But, you know, there's always uh, degrees of that.
0: Yeah, so that's an important an important part of the education is how to manage myself. Absolutely, within that space of service, how do I give great service and at the same time not
1: not lose myself in it? Right, it's uh, part of the life. A big part of my own belief and what sharing with the students is: be yourself, be your happy self. Go to work with a smile in your heart as well as on your face, and and want to make someone's day. And if someone's angry and someone's difficult and everything you then create a challenge for yourself to say, I'm going to make them smile, you know, and you do all that you can. And if that means giving fantastic service, so they're not stressed on that level, that's great. So mm. you, you create your own challenges for yourself. You can't necessarily change somebody else, but you can certainly change your own behaviors and attitudes and beliefs and everything else. Yep. Right? Yep. So there's a lot of good in hospitality.
0: Yes, yes, Absolutely. Although we sometimes struggle with it, right? Yeah, totally. people. So, yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem with your thousand applicants per year, it doesn't seem like you have a real issue with getting the people into your
1: school at all. A lot would want it. to be involved. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And because the so, will ahead. grow eventually as far as from a, for a tourism point of view. Um, I hope it's never like Bali. Bali is wonderful, but it's, it's 100% tourist orientated. And that's been a problem throughout the COVID pandemic, obviously, because there's been no tourists. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, they, the tourism is a big thing here, particularly hospitality and working in hotels and that service side. So there's always going to be a future for them job wise. Mm-hmm. And who knows mm-hmm. where they go on from that. There's a couple that have already received jobs in the Seashell Islands and have gone off over there past students. So, you know, there, okay. there's chances for them to travel the world if they wish to they the going places of hospitality yeah a, a very pragmatic question do you use school books um, yes and no not so much school books per se um, obviously they have writing books and whatever but as far as programs it comes down to the teacher the teacher teaching yes they have an overall program of the syllabus that they want covered and big part of my philosophy it's up to the teacher to be able to to do that if you're just going to give a straight school book for example Everyone's just getting that bit of knowledge. It's not your own. It's not going to be that heartfelt inside and with that additional knowledge. So if you need that as a tool, in other words, you need to use some pages from that or you want that as part of your tool toolkit, that's fine. But you also have to bring yourself and your own experience because, you know, what you have done before, that needs to be imparted to these students. Because, again, we only have 12 months. We don't have 12 years imparting everything. So, uh, traditionally, a school book per se is, you know, something that will follow through. That they kids get their first school book in kindergarten or basic school, and then they still have school books right through to the end of high school, but they're all progressive.
0: And there there are certain things that you you can't even put into a school book anyway. I mean, you can, but it it has absolutely no value whatsoever. Well, other things, you know, you learn the difference between rum and cognac, and what's made of what, and how should I, you know, what glass goes what, so. There are certain things that are, that, you know, that have a, a rightful place to go
1: into a school book. Definitely. Yep. And that's, that's what they utilize there at Sumber Hospitality Foundation. Again, there's a, there's the benchmarks there, the things to be able to draw upon that you want to be able to use, but you're welcome to create your own as well. Basically, as so long as I get to that end point. But that's okay. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Like developing all right. that knowledge, right. et cetera, et cetera. English is yeah. a big part where they will use certain sheets and everything because there's structure, grammatical structure that they're trying to teach. Mm. So, but even then. Yeah, but, uh, you find a lot on how to teach English. There's, there's a lot of material around. Yep. Yeah. And look, the mm. English teachers that, you know, certainly that we had last year are, were incredible. But I dare say they've always had incredible English teachers. But um, certainly the ones that I've I've met there have been amazing.
0: As usual, it all it all grows with the teacher, right? Now a question about the placements because that's so important, right? Now you mentioned that during the year they have a two weeks placement to get just get a little different experience and then they go for six months into another hotel
1: that's right Uh,
0: how did you build up that community of hotels that will work with you because i'm thinking they ought to have a certain level of standard and a certain way of of dealing with things because if you taught them one way for 12 months and then all of a sudden they land in a place and their standards are completely different
1: it's going to just be very confusing for them right Uh, Yes and no. I mean, number one, as far as the building up of the rapport, um, initially that certainly would have been done by the founder who obviously had contacts within some of the bigger hotels and everything, and so she established that. But since then, either Redemptor Butter or even myself when I was there, but visiting the hotels and finding out what's working, what's not, what are their expectations, what do they want to see changing again, it's that whole growing and adapting from earlier years and they're very supportive of that. And it didn't take long before a lot of people contact us wanting our students, you know, to come and do the internship there. But unless they're at that very high five-star standard, we, we don't allow it. We will certainly advertise for jobs for past alumni or whatever for them, but we only allow it if it's a, a very high area because, well, yes, you'll have different procedures or whatever in different places, that that standard is is the same. If you're aiming for that very high standard, and that's what we're wanting the students to make sure that they can grasp and they can grasp it in a different environment. We're teaching it. They're getting it in our place. They're getting it at their prac area, and then they're getting it in their internship. And yes, three different places, but that high standard should be the same. You know, the again, the eye for detail, the, the service standards of, um, you know, your attitude, your perception, your skill set. The skills is what is going to keep growing and learning and that's where it's different. You know, the way they set a table, for example, going back to a restaurant, the way they set a table in one place could be totally different to another place. You can adapt those skills, but knowing that you need to show your speed, your accuracy, Mm -hmm. you know, the eye for detail, making sure that you're meeting their standards, that's the part that doesn't change and that's the part that you know, they get lots of experience in different places. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, it's all good. So,
0: do they get a do, do they come back and do they get a final exam after at the end
1: or right. at the end so once you- they once they leave our campus, that's sort of it as in they go off onto their internship and then we visit them basically, and then we mm-hmm. go in communication with them and with the partners. We always had somebody on the ground too like in Bali, for example, who could check on them at all times. And everything as well. So, again, it's a very big procedure. In other words, to making sure you follow through everything towards yeah. the, and towards the end of it, we would ask the partners, uh, you know, their intention of employing the student. And there can be a range of different reasons, you know, for for not employing them. It doesn't mean they weren't good. It could be that they've they've got budget constraints that they can't put any more staff on. It can. I know one place particularly that I had where they were waiting on. They had a lot of older staff, and they'd been told they weren't to employ anyone else until one of the older staff retired. So um, they were. There was like. 30 staff that were due to retire within the next six months so they sort of had to do the waiting game you know and then of course it can be that the student hadn't performed as as great as they wanted it can be a range of different things so basically we get that intention as a general 60 to 70 percent of them are employed by the hotel so they do stay there um that's great yeah so Mm -hmm. it's quite high actually but the the remainder ones, once I've got that initial outlook, I then contact all of our partner hotels as well and asking them, you know, um, do you need other students? So, for example, they might have just had two spa students as their intern, but they'd actually need some more culinary. And so I can say, okay, well, I have two culinary students who um now need employment. Would you like to interview mm-hmm. them? And you can see for yourself. So that usually takes up the majority of the rest because they do. They come back and say, they 'cause they've they've had a taste of what our students are like in one area and so then they think, oh wow, that actually they could actually be very good in another area as well. So that's good. Yeah.
0: That's, that's 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 so that's
1: good to hear that they they find a good place. Yeah. And it was a
0: investment for them.
1: The cross training element is interesting too. And again COVID has shown this, but sometimes our students put out there in a placement, let's say they're a food and beverage student and for whatever reason they're moved across into housekeeping. So you know, because they're short of housekeeping staff, they don't want to put another staff member on, they have these students for internships, so let's put them in there. And in mm. the beginning, that was quite confronting because our students, again, remembering they come from nothing, they know nothing, right? So, mm. um, and that was a big part of, again, what we tried to adjust um, in the last couple of years is to promote the cross-training element. So all students, if that happened to them from any department, they would be Okay. Particularly on the housekeeping side, all the students are involved with housekeeping at their campus, as far as cleaning, as far as um, making beds, looking after dormitories, all that sort of things. So mm-hmm. they all have that standard anyway, so it's not so confronting for them when that mm-hmm. happens in their placement. And it can also be job-wise. There's been several students where that has happened. They've, been, they've said, look, we don't have a job at the moment in front office, but we can offer you a job in housekeeping if you're interested because we would love you and we want to keep you. Yes, please. And so they do that. and, and They change the career work. path. Yeah. So
0: it makes it makes an interesting candidate for smaller properties, right? Where they do have to
1: use you in the different departments anyway, right? Yeah. So it's good. Last year we it was the first time we had one student who actually did cross training in all five areas, including spa, which was very bizarre. Mm-hmm. And um, but you know they were su- super adaptable. Mm-hmm and super Mm -hmm. switched on um boy it was very switched on and Mm -hmm. you know it just makes him very adaptable within a property you know to move around he's actually a front office student but uh, you know anything is possible so that's
0: good now if you were to do something like if you were to start your own school now from what you've learned along the journey what are some of the things that you would
1: it's really interesting because, again, having had my own school, but a different. I'm, I'm very passionate about this side on the hospitality side. I like being able to uh, teach or impart the wisdom of or the, the things I've learned through hospitality, the good and the bad, to people who are keen to want to change their, their life. And so from that point of view too, it's not so much a Western thing. Like I don't know that I'd want to do it, you know, in a Western society because there's already too many attitudes and perceptions and everything else. But, you know, taking people from an impoverished area and changing their life for a positive, that is huge to me. So that excites me. If I went back into the schooling system, it would be similar to what I had before that I am passionate about alternative education. So it would be an alternative education side. I'm, I'm a big believer in the life skills element. And learning by doing, even, even in the high school A open, we were, we were doing work experience from the very beginning with the mm. students in different situations. So I'd probably just develop that even further and harness that more so because I've seen in this situation where within 12 months, they can go from knowing nothing to, to knowing so much, but coming down to attitudes and perceptions. And that's a big mm. part of any teaching that I would do. I would be able to draw upon, you know, the inspiration from these amazing so many students, like their willingness to want to create change, you know, in their lives. That's, it's very inspiring, you know, to, to watch their change and watch them make their mistakes and learn from their mistakes and grow and change. It's yes. quite incredible. They're amazing, Again, amazing people. The student
0: teaching the teacher, right? Absolutely. Ultimately. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And you, you've got to let my experience so many teachers have so much ego associated with them. And I've never liked that element, but teaching in a place like this is very humbling and gets rid of your ego very quickly. You can't have it, you know, because there's so much joy to be learned and you can, and you learn from other cultures anyway. If you've got an open mind, you'll learn. And okay, some things you might disagree with, but there'll be some things that are actually quite beautiful that you've just got to be open to. There's good and bad everywhere and you've got to be able to decipher through it. So. But yeah, so in answer to your question, I, I think it's just that, that humanity element to inspire other people and, and have that as my inspiration saying, if they can do it, anybody can do it and create greater change from that perception. But again, that's easy for me to say because I've been there. I've seen it trying to impart that to others. You know, I'd probably start, if I opened a normal school, I'd probably take them on school excursions to a place like Zumba and <laughs> let them see for themselves. That's the only way to do it. So, And let's hope there's going to be more places like Zumba. Hopefully so. So, well, again, you've got your Mozambique project, which hopefully continues on. I know of a project in the Caribbean at the moment that is going very similar as well. And, again, there was two other places within Indonesia wanting to do something similar of SHF, except COVID sort of put a dampener on that, so after COVID. So, mm-hmm. it you know, things are growing. There's, there's certainly opportunities out there, and hopefully it does keep going because it's quite empowering. But you do have to listen to the people as well. You have to understand the local culture. That's a big thing. Like you can't bring... Uh, that's something that I definitely learnt as in I knew, but I to see it in reality was quite humbling, but you can't bring all your Western standards in and expect that change. Obviously we're teaching Western standards from the hospitality point of view, but how you go about it, you might have to adapt and change. Yeah. Cause it's a very different group of people and they will nod, they will please, they will say, yes, 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 yes. You have to look for the cues to see whether they actually have a clue what you're talking about or not. So you can't just take that.
0: We have to learn in each of the cultures that each is going to be different. Each is going to teach us different things, and each is going to require a bit of a different setup. At the same time, there's going to be, and this is why I, I told you before, this is why I wanted to start this community so that we can learn from each other's mistakes, right? Yeah. I mean, there's no reason or mistakes, but from the learnings, yeah, right? I, um,
1: one of my, I think, think essential philosophies comes down to a story I read many years ago about some do-gooders, I don't, I don't know, some amazing – um, people who decided they were going to bring water into community and and create gardens and everything, which is fantastic. And it was in Africa somewhere, and they basically had this land, and they built all these incredible gardens, vegetable-wise, for the whole community to be able to live off. And the locals were trying to say, you can't do it this way because of whatever, and they weren't listening to the locals Anyway, once all the produce came up, a herd of elephants came through, ruined the whole lot, knocked it all over. So it's one of those stories where I now have more meaning to that story. You have to respect that local culture. You might not think it's the right thing or whatever, but without it, you're not going to get the blessing of the people. You're not going to get that full gamut of what you're trying to achieve. Unless you really do listen to that culture. It doesn't mean you can't share your ideas. It doesn't mean you can't find ways around it, but you have to negotiate that. You can't just come in like a bull at a gate and put your Western ideals and suggestions there. You have to, you have to respect those locals. And that's. And,
0: and And this is how great hospitality is, right? There's always a fusion of what you bring in with the standards. And then you, you kind of put it together with the local culture, even if you create a hotel and same if you, if you create an education system around, around the hospitality industry. Absolutely. I think it's fantastic that we should have the exchange. And I hope I get to talk to everybody who is doing similar projects as you did and are doing in the hospitality education sphere. And so we can learn from each other and create more opportunities for for young future professionals in the industry.
1: Absolutely. Create change all across the world. That's what it's all about.
0: There you go. There you go, River. Thank yeah. you so much for yeah. taking the time.
1: more than welcome. I know, thank no, you.
0: No, I'm not done picking your brain. <laughs> not my long shot. So uh,
1: <laughs> That's all right. There's always time.
0: So I'm looking forward to future conversations for the time being. I'm let you go. I know it's late in the evening for you. And, again, thank you so much. You're more
1: than welcome. And hopefully, um, uh, if, it, if it helps anyone, and I'm an open book, anyone can ask of my experiences and I'm happy to share.
0: So surely I didn't know a promise when I announced that River is extremely generous with his knowledge. If you're thinking of incorporating any of what you've just heard just now in your operation, and please feel free to reach out to River, that's River Stanley, S-T-A-N-L-E-Y, on LinkedIn and or the Nexus group here. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Stay awesome, stay safe, thank you, and I'll see you next time.